Pastor Stewart waiting for an introduction. <clears throat> Young people today, you know, I would still be over there waiting for my introduction, trying to explain to them, just get used to it. That's the way it's going to be. Uh, Mr. Reem, it's great, Fred, to have you and the boys uh, be assured of our prayers. Um, dads, take note um, that Fred wants to go uh, to model for his family um, and praise God for that. Jake's got a voice. I mean, I said, I told him he can just preach. Just take my notes and preach. He's got one of those voices. Be assured of our love and our prayers for you and the rest of the Guatemala team. Um, we, we need to pray this, this, let me just be honest, okay? You're going to like get ticked at some of the things that I tell you today. I want to prepare you ahead of time. So hold off on the emails, hold off on the notes. Um, I have been wrestling through and, and God, the Holy Spirit is convicting my heart in certain areas as I've prepared this week uh, to, speak, to speak to you on a very, very, very important area, um, how we really are examining uh, very closely under a microscope the vision that God has called us um, to accomplish. Uh, let's pray first and foremost. We just need the help from the Lord as we look into his word this morning. Would you bow your heads uh, with me? Father, we come before you and we acknowledge um, our sinfulness. We um, admit our brokenness, and yet we are most grateful that we can come to you through the work of Jesus. And we are grateful that you love us unconditionally. You've lavishly poured out mercy and grace. Um, your love is unconditional. We rejoice in the work of Jesus, what was accomplished on the cross, what was, what was defeated in the tomb when, when Jesus rose again, and the hope that that, that that gives and that brings to us. Father, I would pray right now, just as, as Pastor Aaron prayed a few moments ago, that you would bring about change. Uh, Lord, I've wrestled. Um, in all honesty, throughout the course of this week. And I, I know this is what you have for us as a church. I, I thank you for this body of believers, and we rejoice in, in all that you are and all that you are doing. But, Lord, we just pray that you would continue, as your word says, you're faithful to finish the work. Help us, Lord, to see... Um, you, first and foremost. I pray for our community. I pray for the leaders in our community. I pray for the leaders in our state and our nation. And, and Lord, it is so obvious they are in need of wisdom from above. I pray that we would be faithful in lifting them up. Um, speak to us. Please guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is done be for your glory. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. <clears throat> Several years ago, we've been very vocal. We talk about the fact that we have presented a vision of where we are heading as a church. And we talk about the fact that we build, we exist to build relationships. We exist to build relationships so that God is glorified and lives, homes, and families are transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we have done over the past couple of weeks is, I think it's, I think it's, um, 
I think it's a danger to assume, and I think that we did assume at some levels. Even when it comes to the idea of building relationships, um, uh, we've found over the last couple of years that some people really struggle with that. It's more like they're just staring at one another face to face, but they don't know what to do next, how to engage. And so we talked about looking at God's word, building relationships. How do we, how do, we do this right? And we went to Paul's example to the church at Philippi. And we talked about the fact that other people have got to be on our minds. We've got to think less about ourselves and more about others. We talk about other people have to be in our hearts and in our prayers. So we looked at building relationships. Last week, we looked at this idea of glorifying God. And we asked the question, how do do we do this? How do we make sure we do this all of the time? All of the time. As 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says. And we talked about the fact that first and foremost, you've got to understand, you've got to be certain who God is. He he is the one who controls every particle of dust and that God saw you and God created you in his own image. It says in in his word that each one of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knits you together in your mother's womb. And yet we know that we were born into sin. And we recognize not only who God is, but what God has done for us, that God offered to us his own son, something, something that you and I, we can't even fully picture, we can't even fully fathom offering our son to die as a sacrifice in the place of those who are in complete rebellion. It's like not even offering your son to someone that you uh, call a friend, but you offer your son to someone who you would call an enemy. That's who God is. That's what God has done for us. How do, we, how do we glorify God? How do we do this all the time? We talk about being calm in our prayers, although the whole world looks to be going to hell around us. We're to be what? We're to be faithful in our love towards one another. We're to be accurate in your words, that the words that come out of our mouth are to be the very words of God or the oracles of God. Several times this week, my wife reminded me, is that exactly the word that God would use? But that is a humbling experience. And on more than one occasion, I reminded her, is that exactly the word that God would use? Good reminder. We have a lot less to say. I think that's important. We make sure that we are accurate in our speech. So we've kind of broken apart, building relationships, glorifying God. Now we get this idea here. We talk about the fact that we exist, what? So that lives are transformed. Transforming lives, how can we witness this regularly? First thing I want you to do, I want you to take your pen. Bring a pen to church if you don't bring a pen to church. And circle that word witness somewhere. And above the word witness, right? The the text, Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The idea, how do we witness this regularly? Here's what you're going to hear. You are the witness. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. How do we witness this regularly? We witness this regularly when you understand what your job is and I understand what my job is to be. So so how do do we do this? Like, how do we do this so it's commonplace? I believe we will... Witness lives regularly transformed by the gospel when we get to the place that the Apostle Paul got to when he wrote 
the verse that's in front of you right now, Romans chapter 10, verse 1, and we read it, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And that's the problem. We read the verse like that. What we, what we have to understand is, whoa, 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 Paul just didn't write Romans chapter 10, verse 1, like on a whim. Let's back up. When it comes to Christian theology, all roads lead through Romans. Arguably, arguably one of the greatest books that has ever been written in the history of the world. And so what Paul does is he goes all the way back and he builds Romans chapter 5. He talks about the free gift of God's grace that what? Brings justification in our lives. You realize positionally through the work of Christ who we are, who we become. And Paul builds in Romans chapter 6. He talks about the fact that what? When we're justified, we become slaves to righteousness that leads on to this idea of sanctification that we have a desire to be holy and we long to look just like God looks in our pursuit of holiness. Romans chapter 7, Paul builds. He talks about the fact that we are released from the law so that we may serve in a new way, that we may serve in the Holy Spirit. Then it builds to the absolute apex, chapter, Romans chapter 8, that says, do you realize that you have received adoption as sons? Do you understand this? And Paul is pouring out his heart to his brothers, his fellow Jews, who've been adopted as sons, that we cry, Abba, Father, that we are the children of God, the heirs of God, that we are fellow heirs of Christ. It says in Romans chapter 8 that we have been called, we have been justified, and we will be glorified. Do you realize this? And Paul builds in Romans chapter 9, and he's bleeding. He says, I have great sorrow. And he says, I have anguish in my heart for you. And then he gets to Romans chapter 10. And he doesn't write as I just read it in a quick flippant manner. He literally, he writes it like this. He says, brothers, brothers, those that I love, those that are close to me. He says, my heart's desire, that which is bubbling up and boiling up inside of me, my my heart's passion and my prayer to God for them is that... Is that what? Is that they may be saved. We begin this morning and we're like, okay, well, how do, how do we, like this whole transform lives, how do we witness this regularly? When, when we get to the place that Paul was at when he wrote these words. So what we need to do is we need to examine very closely. We need to look at the desires of my heart. Look at the desires of your heart. It is impossible for me to know your heart. I cannot judge your heart. So you have to really ask yourself, okay, what, what, is, what, is, what is prominent in your life? What holds a, a place of prominence, a, a place of preeminence? What, what holds a place of importance in your heart, in your life? Secondly, we need to ask the question, what is the primary subject of our prayers to God. Now, let me, let me give you a little parenthetical statement. I'll give you a little help here. The second will reveal the first. You know what I mean by that? You and I pray about that which is important to us. You and I pray, and in our prayers, it reveals 
What is prominence? What holds that place of importance? Now, you can be assured, and I hear it all the time. I see it all over the place. I listen to people. I meet with people. I lunch with people. I call with people all the time. I hear it all the time. The overwhelming majority of all of our prayer requests, get this. I got like uh, something growing on my elbow right here. Not really quite sure what it is. Go to the doctor to get it checked out. Can you pray? Just make sure that whatever's there. The overwhelming majority of prayer requests are for our physical well-being. Sickness, ailment, an illness, a potential. We may have, it's been tracking in my family, there's, there, there's a disease lurking. The overwhelming majority... Now, I know you're going to be upset by this. I'm not saying, I'm not saying you cannot pray... pray about a physical ailment. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about your, the order here is what we have to examine. What's the first thing that rolls off R? Um, and, and so we hear other, other things. We hear, you know, I got, a, I got a job interview coming up. I really need to pass this, this exam. I need to pass this test. Um, I, I have this business opportunity. These are the things that we're hearing that bubble up to the surface. Should, should I buy or should I sell? Someone asked me recently, should I go with the 2014 model or the 2016 model? Because one, one does better on gas. Are you serious? Like that's, that's what people are praying about. Got a, got a game coming up. Been a little bit of a slump lately. Just pray. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. We're, we're missing something here. When Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, he literally says like this. He says in, in, in Matthew chapter 6, there's, there's, a, there's an intentional priority that is given. There is an intentional order. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Disciples close, close by. He says, pray then like this. And we know this. We memorize this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we get to give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts. We also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Which is what? This is a model prayer here. It teaches us this is how we pray. So first and foremost, what is it? After adoration, Lord, you are unbelievable. There's no one else like you, God. Amazed at, at the way that you sustain life, the way that you do. I'm in love with the fact that you love me and I am most unlovable. Our attention first and foremost is always on him. And then what is the second thing by way of order of importance? We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Well, what's the definition? What is this kingdom of God that we're supposed to be praying for? Well, the kingdom of God is God ruling and reigning in the hearts of men. Because it's those that will be part of, as God establishes ultimately for all of eternity, his kingdom. And you and I are, are to be ambassadors of his kingdom. Therefore, how are people to have God rule and reign in their hearts unless we tell them, this is how God needs to rule and reign in your hearts. You understand what Paul is doing? He's talking about my heart's desire 
Jesus tells us this is how you have to pray. There is a soul at stake. Who gives a rip about your job interview in light of that? Told you you're going to be ticked off. Sorry. It's the truth. Souls last. Souls matter. Souls are at stake. We have the opportunity to lift up names to, to, to bring people into the throne room of grace and praying that God would draw them unto himself. And we're praying about whether or not we should get the 2014 or the 2016 model. No. No. It can't be like that. After that, then we get to the daily bread, which is totally different. Like, that's Lord, give us enough to live one more day. Sustain us for one more day so we may live for your glory. Somebody, somebody has been telling you lies and telling our young people lies. A big, hot, steaming pile of lies and people are buying it. And the lie is this. You actually think that your life is about you. And young people are being raised on that lie. Wait a minute. God created you in his image with one purpose. It's not about you. God created you and me with one purpose, and that is to bring glory to the only one that matters. Pray for me tonight. I, I would ask as your pastor, I've been given an amazing privilege to speak at baccalaureate to a bunch of students who have been told a lie, many of them. I don't know who's doing it. I don't know if it's the parents. I hope it's not the parents. I hope it's not the teachers. Maybe it's society. Maybe it's the messages of the world. It says, whatever you do, just succeed. Man, you set your goal. It's nothing that you can't do. You're amazing. No, no, you were created by an amazing God. And you have an amazing purpose to fulfill for his glory. That's where we need to focus. Now, as a local church, there's no doubt, and I'm learning this, we like stumble forward. There's a lot of moving parts and pieces. Doesn't always go real smooth, I confess. We admit that we're working on it. But one thing that is very serious to us, I began to make a a list, Mark Lowen, uh, Mark and Rhonda aren't here today, but Mark has been teaching a class every single week, adult class right up here on, it's called evangelism from the ground up. And very carefully, he's done an exceptional job. And teaching us, like, how, how do we share this? Why? Because there's a responsibility that we have to give a message. We have to make sure that we're on mission and we know what that message is. Why? So that other people's lives will be transformed by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the purpose of that class was. Uh, uh, Pastor Josh and Kenny Hall have been working just tirelessly on every single Thursday night. They're meeting with a group of people, literally, literally renovating our entire recovery ministry. There's this idea that, that you're, you're always in healing and never healed. Wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so Kenny and Josh have worked and they are bringing the gospel to the, to the center, to the focus. That's where we... That's where our lives are going to be healed. That's where recovery exists on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that was accomplished on the cross. Uh, Jess Hall has done a phenomenal job. She leads another team, I think our fifth or sixth team, 
to Guatemala in training 18 people. This is how we want to make sure there's a clear articulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a really difficult, challenging third world setting. They sit. People don't know that. You guys go home and they sit and they watch videos and they learn and they discuss and talk. When there's a little tiny kid who's four years old who doesn't speak our language, how do we connect and relate with them? Everything we do, a lot of pieces, a lot of parts to the church. Bobby and Melissa Verharlick do an exceptional job in leading our children's ministry. Do you realize that they pour over tirelessly, they pour over children's curriculum so that every single week there is a clear message that those little tiny, those little tiny terrorists will hear so that what? So that their lives can be transformed. So that they understand what the gospel is. Everything is surrounded around that. <clears throat> Jen Braun's working with a team for people of people for our VBS this coming summer in the next month or so. I forget the date, sorry. And, and what she's doing is that what? So we have an understanding. We have a window here. We're going to rent out Rob Elementary. And we're going to invite literally hundreds and hundreds of kids from our community. But when they come, we have to be ready so that we present them what? The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because those lives need to be transformed. Pastor Stewart has been working, teaching both the junior and senior high kids. He came to my office a couple months ago. He said, well, like, which direction? I said, teach kids how to share the good news of Jesus. And as he shared, that there can be an eighth grade student or a seventh grade student who the Holy Spirit speaks to and, and what understands that, that there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in Central Mountain Middle School that don't know Christ. Do you realize that an eighth grader can get something that a lot of us as adults don't get because we're still concerned about the job interview? We're concerned about Aunt Edna's hip surgery that's coming up. I'm not saying don't pray about Aunt Edna. I'm saying it doesn't come before the souls of mankind. Everything that we do has to be focused on a single message. Why? Because it is to be our heart's desire. It is to be our passion. We build relationships so lives are transformed. A lot of people ask me, like, okay, how do I, okay, I'm in, I'm in. How do I do this? And there's a lot of tools that are out there. There's the, the Romans Road and, and Evangelism Explosion, and, and there's the Four Spiritual Laws. There's the, the Wordless Book, which has turned into the Wordless Bracelet, which has turned into the Wordless Soccer Ball. Joy has a bracelet on. There's a wordless soccer ball. I don't, you can put it anywhere. You can tattoo it on your forehead, as far as I'm concerned. Don't do that, though. But the idea is what? You've got to, which brings us to our very first point, you've got to care sincerely for people. Now, now it's not just about getting them to recite something or getting them to, to walk down an aisle or shed some tears. People join churches even. People, people do a lot of things in a sense what they do religious things, but they still miss the gospel. And that's why we focus on the gospel. Why? Because it's the Lord that does the saving. You and I don't. We have to hold on to that. It is the, it is the Lord that draws people unto himself. 
It's the Lord that convicts. It's the Lord that forgives and redeems and seals and preserves the sinner. We just need to be faithful. Our time, I don't know how that works out. I got to my first point. I told you you were going to be ticked. I didn't tell you why you were going to be ticked. Number one, care sincerely for people, for souls, and their eternal destination. You've got to understand this. We can race through this very, very quickly. But let me tell you, as, as you see, even pause on that care idea for people, for souls, let, let me back up the bus just a little bit. The first thing that you need to care about is your own soul. And I mean that with all sincerity. That, that in, a, in a sense, it's going to be hard for you to communicate something of, of, of good news of what the gospel has done to transform their life unless you've understood and recognized what the gospel has done to transform your very own life. Jesus teaches all of what Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, on this kingdom living. And he talks about your salt and your light, which we are. But before that, he talked about the fact that you have to realize that you are what? To be poor in spirit. It it speaks about our spiritual bankruptcy. It speaks about the fact that in and of ourselves, we are lost. No one had to teach you how to cheat or lie or steal. You figure that out on yourself. It talks about the fact that we are to what? Blessed are those who mourn, who recognize your spiritual bankruptcy and weep over that. So there's this idea that as we care about the souls of others, before we get there, we have to care about our own souls. That's what it says in Acts chapter 20. It says, keep a close watch on yourself. Paul wrote to Timothy in, 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 in 1 Timothy 4, pay careful attention to yourself. Very important here. That's when we have a soul-stirring work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, we become acutely aware of the needs of others. And it naturally, it, it just pours out of us in caring for others. What do we do? We, we have to be, my dad and mom taught me this repeatedly. You have to be aware of your surroundings and you have to be aware of who is surrounding you. You got to see other people. See other people and spend time with other people. Ask questions. People love to talk about themselves. You'll realize this. So you begin to ask questions. And as they begin to talk about themselves, automatically you will have an opportunity. Is that right? Well, I know someone. My, 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 My neighbor went to the same school that your son went to. And there's a point of connection here. And as you are caring for them, you will inevitably, what? See and sense the needs. You look for needs and you pray, God, give me an opportunity. I'll give you a personal testimony of this. About 20 years ago, as I was just beginning in pastoral ministry, I began to pray very specifically these words. Lord, give me an opportunity to share the good news. Now, what happens inevitably when you pray the same thing over and over and over again, I found myself, and I confess this, that I was praying, Lord, give me an opportunity without actually thinking about it because I just prayed for it so regularly. And as I'm praying, Lord, give me an opportunity, I am convinced that although I may not have even thought about it, Lord, give me an opportunity, that God heard it every single time. I never, ever, ever, ever lack for opportunities 
to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I never lack. That's why Wendy doesn't like to take me grocery shopping because I see opportunities and we connect and, and she's just like, just get to the Lucky Charm aisle. And why? Because it's just, it's all over the place. And we pray, we're to pray for that. Why? Because we're to care sincerely more about others than you care for yourself. Secondly, you connect personally with other people. I tell you this, you will never connect with people that you do not care about. Let me say that again. You're not going to connect. There will not be a connection if you do not care about it. That means, and hear me on this, okay, I told you you're going to be ticked. This, this is what it means. Turn off the television. Step away, like step away from the computer screen. I understand that you're discipling someone in another country. Great, do that. But at some point, walk across the street and introduce yourself to your neighbor with an apple pie. You've got to make a connection. It's really not that difficult. Which means, what, what, what are you going to have to do? You're probably going to have to, to, to roll the window down, stop the vehicle, and talk with someone. It's not just about garage door up, drive in, garage door down, let's keep our barriers and our fences and our hedges and you stay out there. No, no. Look how, look how Jesus modeled for us. It says what? Before he heals the deaf man in Mark chapter 7 and taking him aside from the crowd privately. There was, there was a point of connection that was made. Before he heals the blind man in Mark chapter 8, he says, and he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village and they spent time together. I love the example that is given on Luke chapter 10 and the Good Samaritan says when he had compassion on him, he went to him and I love this. It says what? He got out of the Jeep to minister to him. He got off his donkey. And there's something like this whole connection thing. Like, yeah, I don't know what they're thinking over there. Totally, totally weird. Totally would want to spend time with them. There's a soul at stake. And that's what we've got to see. Oh, Jesus is... How about Jesus when he ministers to Zacchaeus in, in Luke chapter 19? I love this one. He says, "What well, I must stay at your house. <laughs> he just invites himself over. I love that. I do that all the time. That's what, you know, years ago, that's what like the parson used to do. Hi, I'm here just to, just to tell you I love you, praying for you. Do you realize that that doesn't happen anymore? Jesus himself says, you know what? I got to go to your house. Do that. Knock on someone's door and say, I'm here just to talk with you because I love you. Care about you. I want to connect with you. Which what brings us to another point where we are to communicate clearly the message of the gospel. As we move on through this, how do do we do this like evangelism thing? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be witnesses. Holy Spirit come upon you. You will be witnesses. This is how we're going to witness this regularly when you and I understand what our job is. Hear me on this. This kind of build one from the other that you you can't communicate with someone unless you've made a connection at some level. You're not going to make a connection with someone unless you care about that person. So this intentionally builds, and it's hard for me to say, well, is there one of these three that are like more important than the other? 
Let me give you an answer. Yes. And it's this one. That communication is more important than connection or connecting and caring. Why? Because you can care for a lot of people. You can connect with a lot of people and they can still die and go to hell because they've never heard a clear communicating of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you see why that's the most important? That's, that's what we are to do here. We are to be so well-versed. And this is not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this is not, I will not let you off the hook. I'm not a people person. I, I'm sorry. Does that mean you're an animal person? Does that mean that you communicate to animals who do not have souls? Like I don't understand this. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be a witness. This is like as normal as eating for you, for me. How do we do this? Well, we have, and I don't have the time to lay out. I use, I use the acrostic or the acronym, whatever you want to call it, of grace. It's pretty simple. G-R-A-C-E. God, rebellion, atonement, conversion, eternal life. Very clear, very simple. Basically, what are we doing? We're trying to find a means to communicate there is one holy God. Created all things. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God. Isaiah chapter 6, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We know that we, we know there is one God. He created all. We know he's holy. And we know that what? There is, there is us. There is man. Yes, we are created in his image. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit us together in our mother's womb. An amazing picture that you had nothing to do with. You were just being knit together. And yet what? When there's a holy God, no one ever has to teach us how to rebel that there's a great chasm that exists. And that's where, that's where we see God's love exercised and poured out, making a means and a way of atonement. The word atonement literally means healing or restoring a relationship. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. Christ died for sins once and for all the just, for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And that's where we make the connection. That's where we, we, that's the bridge. Now we talk about when there is belief, there is going to be, there's going to be repentance. We're not looking for perfection, but I tell you what, you, you can't just stay in the same slop hole that you've been living in. Which means what? That you've got to come around one another. And we've got to lift up one another and say, let, let me, I'm, I'm struggling alongside of you and I will be there, but I will not leave you. And that's where discipleship comes in. And we lead them. We lead them through the, the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, and finally, we're to pray fervently. The Holy Spirit will draw people unto himself. What I, what I love is that there's a statement here that we can trust and rest in. That, that your job and my job is is not counting the fruit or getting discouraged because people didn't fall on their knees in repentance after your conversation um, through the wordless book or the wordless bracelet. Our job is just to be faithful. And as we are faithful, what? Inevitably, inevitably, the names of people and the faces of people will come to our heart and our heart's desire, what? Be that they 
are saved. And it's going to be evident in how many times you are praying and pleading that God would draw them unto himself. My prayer to God is that people would be saved. And, And yet I wonder, how long has it been for you personally to lead after, hallowed be your name, to lead with a list of people that you know, that you're establishing relationships with, that you're caring about, that you're connecting with, that you're communicating to. How long has it been since you have led in praying for their soul to be saved? As opposed to this long shopping list of what's in it for us. James writes this, and I close, the effective and the fervent prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous woman avails much. Much is accomplished when we are praying in a passionate way, particularly for those souls that we know to be saved. May we be a church that is ignited on fire through the gospel to minister the gospel for the glory of God. Father, we love you. I would ask that you would give to us the means, the ability, the power to be obedient to your word. Thank you for waking my soul up this week. I pray, Lord, that each one of us would understand the responsibility, the weight on our shoulders, trusting you that you will make us to be witnesses. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us, please, as we close.